Hi, I'm Ben Field and welcome to another episode of the Hillsong Film and TV Podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking with Emmy and Golden Globe nominated actor and producer Roma Downey, whose rise to fame began in the role of Monica on the long-running series Touched by an Angel. Over her career, she, along with her husband Mark Burnett, have gone on to producing hit TV series and movies like Son of God, Ben-Hur and the Bible series. We all knew we were part of something that was greater than all of us. You know, it was a God thing. And we were all being used in a way, I think, just to bring that message of hope and healing through something that was, you know, a weekly TV show. Uh, I've had um, opportunities come in that that had um, that had roles that I felt were the demand for gratuitous sex or nudity or that they were really overly, you know, like violence in a way that wasn't supported in the storyline. That interview in just a few moments. But first, I just want to say a quick thank you for taking the time to tune in. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and our YouTube channel to make sure you get all the newest releases as they come out. Plus, you can stay up to date with what the Hillsong Film and TV team are up to via our website at hillsong.com forward slash film TV. Or follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Hillsong Film TV. All right, now that's out of the way, let's jump straight into this. First of all, Roma, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Um, I want to start with you, dreams and desires. Where did it start for you? Gosh, well, which dream? <laughs> I've had so many dreams placed on my heart and I've, I've really just been so fortunate in the journey of my life. You know, I grew up, um, Ben, in Northern Ireland during the 70s, which was the height of what has now become known in our history as the Troubles. And I grew up in the city of Derry in an area called the Bogsite. And it was, uh, you know, we saw a lot of violence. The army had moved in the late 60s. And, you know, there was uh, a lot of conflict and tension in the community. And I had a few cassettes. This is how old I am. We were still listening to cassettes. (laughs) And one of the um, uh, cassettes that I owned was Simon and Garfunkel's Mm. Greatest Hits. And um, and I really um, uh, I'm so grateful to the poetic lyrics of Paul Simon because I think through his lyrics I fell in love with the idea of America mm-hmm. uh, that it was held up as a place where you know anything was possible if you came with a willingness to work hard and a dream in your heart that things might happen and I was working with the Abbey Theatre Company, which is the Irish National Theatre, and they mounted a production that came over to the States, and I had a a leading role in that show, and we played in cities like Philadelphia and Chicago and Boston, and cities that had an obvious Irish connection Mm. where we could guarantee an audience, and we ended up in New York, and I had an agent who approached me and said, you know, have you ever considered... Moving to America, kid, I think I could get you work. <laughs> and so I thought, well, what's the worst thing could happen? If I didn't like it, I could go back. And if that was my strategy, then the only thing I needed to ensure was that I had the price of a return ticket. So I came here looking for an American dream. The dream has changed and altered, I think, over the course of my time here, but that's nearly 30 years mm. that I've been in America. And, and that time, America has been very good to me. Yeah. What did you see when you were that young, when you were thinking of America? I know it was a way out, but 
Could you visualize what that would look like doing what you were doing here in this country? Well, you know, I, I, I had a dream to be an actress and um, I had tra- classical training. Uh, I really wanted to be on the stage. Um, I had to uh, come through school and excelled in the classics and, you know, had performed in Shaw and Chekhov and Shakespeare and, and so on. And so... You know, my my first dream, I think, had been to be on Broadway. And um, my opening, I, I finally got to do a show on Broadway. It was called The Circle. It was kind of a dreary old comedy, to be honest, by Somerset Mom. Um, but it uh, it had leading the cast, a, a then rather uh, elderly Sir Rex Harrison, who um, was, of course, very famous for playing Henry Higgins in the musical My Fair Lady with Audrey Hepburn, and which had been one of my favourite films growing up as a girl. So to get to work with him was extraordinary. And, um, you know, and that opening night on Broadway was as as fantastic yeah. as I had hoped that it might be. I bet. Calling home, um, was there a small kind of mindset from people back home, even the people around your family, the family of that community that you came from where moving to America and moving to New York and pursuing that dream was frowned upon or was it accepted and uh, did people champion that? I, I feel like they championed it. I think there was probably a bit of sadness around seeing me go off, but I was the youngest of six children. And um, my father certainly, before he had passed, had always encouraged um, you know, that to fulfil the dreams that might require the spreading of your wings and even though the idea of moving sometimes can be frightening because people like a certain degree of certainty Mm -hmm. about what their future might hold and certainly stepping out of the comfort of your own neighborhood and into a, you know, crossing an ocean, um, Mm. you know, brought with it uh, a certain apprehension. Mm. Well, I'm sure it hasn't come without its challenges. I know it's easy now to look in in the blessing of that, but that's 30 years of ups and downs, I'm sure. Oh, yes, for sure. And uh, probably way way more downs than ups at a certain point. Yeah. I think anybody that jumps into the profession of show business it's, um, you know, it brings with it a certain amount of uh, uh, the inevitable word no. Yeah. You know, for every yes you've heard, you know, there's been a, a thousand no's and, yeah. and it's learning how to accept that and not believe that that's a rejection of you or your self-worth or who you are. You know, it just happens to be what you do, but it's it's not who you are. Do you think that's a lot of people's... Um excuses to tap out of the industry because they haven't been able to navigate that? Because, I mean, it is quite confronting when you get so many no's you don't really understand. Absolutely, Ben. I mean, if you consider in an average life how many times people face rejection, it's probably not that many, really. Let's say, you know, if you ever lost a job or two, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe you had your heart broken once or twice, you know, I don't know. But would 10 be a lot of times Mm -hmm. for for an average Mm -hmm. person? I would think so. But, you know, if you're setting yourself forward, particularly for performers, actors, actresses, you know, you could be rejected 10 times in a week. And, you know, the thing is about the actor is that, you 
know, part of the skill set that we bring is that we have great imaginations, you know, that we can see beyond the realm of possibility and and uh, we are the dreamers of dreams. And so with each job opportunity, you know, you've already stepped into what that, how that's going to change your life. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know certainly in the course of my life, I've like already spent the money. I haven't even gotten the job <laughs> yeah. yet. And so it's a big shock when yeah. suddenly, what do you mean? You don't want me? Yeah. I mean, in my very early career, I went in, there's a product in the States called Irish Spring Soap. It's actually wasn't a product for me growing up. It's like, you know, an, an Irish-American thing, I guess. But there was an uh, audition to go in to read for an Irish Spring soap commercial. And mm. I thought, okay, I'm a shoe in the door here, right? <laughs> and I remember sitting in the waiting room with, the, you know, these lovely girls, but they were, you know, Irish-American and I was really Irish. And so I'm um, in the copy, there wasn't even much to say. And I, I, as I recall, I had this, a guy would say, manly, yes, and and she would say, I like it too. And um, and so the, the, the guy, the agent kept saying, could you read it? Could you give me a bit more of that, you know, happy leprechaun thing? And I was like, people don't speak like that. I wouldn't be allowed home back to Ireland if I suddenly turned into Hollywood Irish. Anyway, I raced home afterward. I was certain it was about to change my life and I was actually going to have some money in my bank account. And But it was back in the day where your, your answering machine would still be flashing a light if you got a call from your agent. And indeed, the light was flashing, and with certainty, I pressed it. And he, it was, his name is Kenny, and he said, "You know, call, it's Kenny. Call me." So I called him <laughs> up, and I was like, "Yeah, well, so when do I start?" And he said, "No, you didn't get it." I was like, "What do you mean I didn't get it? What was? What did they say? What did they say?" He said, "They said you didn't sound Irish enough." <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> and so you know, disappointment after disappointment, yeah. certainly, but. You can't be discouraged if you, you know, if you really want to go for it, you you yeah. know, you must go for it. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing would be to get to middle age and and be still sitting there saying, I wish I had tried, yeah. you know, better yeah. do better to have loved and lost yeah, that's than true. never to have loved at all. That's very good advice. What would, what advice would you give for most people wanting to break into acting? Because it can feel like it's that one in a million shot. Is it a one in a million shot? Well, I think that there is a, 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 a um, there is a, a moment when being in the right place at the right time certainly can lend itself in your favor. You know, I have seen very, very talented people, um, uh, you know, not get the breaks ever. And, um, uh, and I've also seen some very untalented people rise to, right. you know, to great heights. So yeah. it doesn't always seem just and fair yeah. uh, how it, it falls together. Um, I, th- I feel that the, the upbringing and the education that I had really helped and supported the, the choices that I made because I really came into the industry wanting to be an actor, wanting to be an artist. I was interested in 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 you know connecting to roles and emotional journeys and how to um, you know how to con- communicate that to other people that that in that that there would be moments where somebody might recognize their own life story that you know that could be helpful and so on and I think that there's a lot of kids today that are just more interested in instant fame or mm. you know um, just want to be famous and it isn't so much about actually doing the work but you know uh, for me there's a there's a Shakespearean quote that says the readiness is all 
And so I think for anybody who really is serious about a career in acting, it's, you know, it's getting into a good class. It's, uh, you know, getting a good, strong community. Getting a support group around you is important, definitely. But staying in, in, you know, making sure that you're, you know, that you're fit, that you're doing voice work, if you're a singer, that Mm. you're, you know, that you're ready so that by the time that knock does come to your door... Mm. Um, that you aren't found napping on the couch, yeah. you know, that yeah. you're at the top of your game. Yeah. Um, because the, the, the breaks when they come will, will come quickly um, and you, you know, you need to be ready for them when, they're, when yeah. they get there. Yeah. I just think for young people coming in here, I just encourage you to have a, you know, a group of friends. This is why, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in church, so I know what the importance of belonging to a community, mm. but it's really just to have support. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because uh, it, you could get sucked into, um, you know, a, a lifestyle here that n- wouldn't necessarily be the healthiest. Yeah. And you just have to be vigilant to that. Yeah. And I guess accountability too, right? Because you can easily be misdirected into certain things. How, how, in terms of like understanding your value and then going out, how important is that for when you're taking roles? And you, for you personally, like, has there been moments where you've had to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not doing that? And even though that might have progressed you further down the chain to achieve what you saw as being your dreams, that integrity, have you ever had any moments like that where you've, that's been tested? Yeah, for sure. I have. I've had um, opportunities come in that that had um, that had roles that I felt were the demand for gratuitous sex or nudity, or that they were really overly, you know, like violence in a way that wasn't supported yeah. in the storyline. Um, you know, I've always had a very basic rule: if I hadn't wanted my dad to see it, I wouldn't wow. want to be in it. Okay. And by extension, you know, my father has long passed away, but. You know, you could say, if I wouldn't want God to see it, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, is there something you want to show your kids? I mean, right. um, and that's just my, you know, own personal values mm-hmm. and the work that I've done. Um, yeah, I have been so fortunate, though, in, in the opportunities that have come my way. And I wasn't long in Los Angeles. And some of the scripts that were coming in were just awful. And, you know, that I was getting a lot of offers. Did I want to be his secretary or his wife or his and somehow in support to men there weren't in the early 90s there weren't a whole lot of uh, great strong roles for women I think that has changed a little bit in television in particular which I'm very encouraged by Mm. but back in the 90s it it wasn't the case and and also if women did show up in scripts together they often weren't in support of each other there was a lot of cattiness or bitchiness or um and so the year that touched by an angel uh, showed up on my desk. Um, I was thrilled on a couple of counts. Mm. Not only did it was it a story that that was God honoring, and I had an opportunity to play an angel, but it actually um, had two female angel characters, and they were good friends and mm. in support of each other, mm. and it thus began a long and lasting friendship in mm. my life of Della Reese, who ended up playing Tess. And I ended up playing the character of Monica, and we were on television for almost 10 years. And it was extraordinary because at its height, uh, Ben, Touched by an Angel, had an audience of over 20 million people a Mm. week. 
And uh, it really was the little train that could. When we first came on TV in 1994, they were they were bouncing us around in time slot. And it's very hard to build a core audience yeah. when people actually don't know you're on. Yep. And if you're on, they don't know where to find you. Right. And it was really the beginning of a, of a kind of a grassroots where the show went out to um, church communities saying there's a great show on, everybody's always complaining, there's nothing to watch that's God-honoring or yeah. that has a central message of that we're loving children of God. And yeah. I got to be the messenger every week, yeah. which was such a privilege to tell people that there is a God and that He loves them and wants yeah. to be part of their lives. And people rallied together. That was was really amazing to see that across denominations, across America, that people came together and they found the show mm. and it became the number one show, number one drama on CBS. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's incredible. Did you know at the time that it was having that kind of impact or was it later when the the show finished that you were getting that feedback? No, I think during the show, you know, we we were um, we were very fortunate that we were we were getting people were writing Letters, remember letters? Yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> People used to write a letter and put a stamp on it. And uh, we were getting a lot of uh, mail back at the at the studio sharing with us how if we were... The, because the show really tried to tackle pertinent social issues. Yeah. It wasn't just dealing with divorce. It was dealing with drug addiction. It was dealing with suicide. It was it was dealing with things that people are really going through and uh, but trying to help them come up with... Uh, you know, a solution that that had God in the equation, and mm-hmm. um, which was a very unusual thing on American television. Yeah. And um, I remember once being in a, a Barnes and Noble bookstore, and a young woman came up to me with fresh scars on her wrist, and uh, she had recently tried to take her own life. And she said that she had been very angry with her family and she was feeling isolated and and by extension angry at God, angry at herself, just angry. Mm -hmm. And that she was overwhelmed by feelings. And she had um, absentmindedly left the television set on in her bedroom. The door was open. And um, she said she called out, even now, God, even now, they're not there. You're not there. I'm all alone. And coincidentally, in that exact moment, the TV was on an episode of Touched by an Angel. And the the voice of the angel replied, you're not alone. And wow. you've never been alone. Don't you know that God loves you? And she said she just stopped cold. It just like pierced the mm. darkness of her heart. And she grabbed a towel and she called the ambulance. And um, she just wanted to say thank you. And I remember going back to my cast and crew. We all knew we were part of something yeah. that was greater than all of us. You yeah. know, it was a God thing. And we were all being used in a way, I think, just to bring that message of hope and healing through something that was, you know, a weekly TV show. But there's something about the television that feels very immediate yeah. and personal, yeah. that's like intimate for yeah. people. So if you're a character on a beloved TV show and you're invited into somebody's house every week as they're gathering with yeah. their families around the television, they're gathering with their mums and their grandmums and their mm. kids to watch your show, you know, they feel like they know you. Yeah. And um, and uh, and if you play, happen to play an angel, as I did for all those years, mm. um, it was such a blessing for me. That's amazing. Um, you did many years acting and you made a transition through to producing. Um, 
How did that start? Did you aspire to do something different? What was the transition moment for you? Yeah, well, the, don't they say the master addiction is is control? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Um, I um, when I uh, I had the good fortune while I was on Touch by an Angel and a Star on that network that I had an opportunity each summer while we were on hiatus to produce a film for my studio, which was CBS at that time, and um, you know I have always had an interest in in the bigger picture yeah. of uh, of finding a, a material and developing that and, you know, go, making connections to find writers. And then once material has been created to who might be in it, what would the cast look yeah. like? What what would it look like? You know, what, yeah. what would the de- design of the piece look like? I've always had an interest in all elements. And anybody who's ever been on a set with me will know that I've always had a million questions. So maybe it was one long internship <laughs> for me that was always leading me yeah. to this. And um, through my marriage with my extraordinary uh, husband, Mark Burnett, the time we met was involved primarily in uh, rea- reality television. Um, and I had come in from a scripted uh, a background. Mm. And so we uh, decided to join forces and... Um, uh, and that we would together bring something to life. And uh, we started with a very small uh, project, uh, a, a little bestseller called The Bible. <laughs> and um, it really was just such a, a blessing on our marriage to be able to work together. So we often joke that I have a whole lot of friends that couldn't even do the dishes with yeah. their own husband, but they wouldn't start yeah. bickering about it or work in the yard together. And you know, and here we were working together to, with the pressures of yeah. bringing, to, bringing the Bible to life on yeah. screen. But... Remarkably, it, uh, it the project we, it was very successful. Mm-hmm. We had over a hundred million people tune in, yeah. and there were there were loads of people at the beginning that thought we were nuts to even tackle mm. uh, the Bible. And we worked with over forty consultants, mm. pastors, and faith leaders, and so on, because we knew that uh, that it, making uh, this project yeah. brought with it a huge responsibility. Yeah. That we would uh, that we would get it right, yeah. and then afterward, we with additional footage, we were able to bring just the narrative of the life of Jesus mm. uh, to the big screen in the feature film *Son of God*, yeah. and it was just another way to reach people with the story of the gospel. It was very impactful, you know, when it was released, and a project like that, I'm sure, doesn't come without its challenges. And I don't mean the challenges of financing and distribution and who's going to partner and who's going to help put legs on it, but you being bold with what's in your heart and your belief and putting it out there. Yeah. Does that attract things in that you had to be prepared for? Well, I think, you know, I, I know that when we first started doing it, many friends said, you know, we're going to start increasing prayer around you and your family. And and I don't know that I really understood, you know, what what was coming in. But there were issues that came in. We had a one of our children got very, very ill um, during our time working on Bible projects. And, you know, and, you know, I don't know if that was part of some sort of spiritual warfare. And there were there were challenges just in the filming of it. We were filmed it in Morocco, um, which allowed us to, you know, get those incredibly epic 
desert landscapes and mountainous landscapes. And, um, you know, and it was a challenge being so far from home. Mm. Um, Mark was also at the same time uh, starting to shoot the uh, American version of what has now become a huge hit, which was The Voice. Um, The musical competition show The Voice. And so he had to be back in the States a lot for that. So there were long periods of loneliness and um, there were periods of sacrifice, certainly. Mm. But, but, you know, we really felt the call to step out and do that. And um, one of the uh, challenges that we had early on in production was just in casting and in casting the role of Jesus in particular, mm. um, you know, it's... Uh, That's a huge undertaking. It, it's a huge undertaking. <laughs> and it can make or break the series. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, without question, our leading man was the star of our show. Mm. And we were only about a month away from, from filming it, and we still hadn't cast the role. And... Um, uh, I had sent out an email hmm. with a header that made all of us laugh. It was like looking for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just put it out there. So, oh my gosh, we've got to just start praying this yeah. in because we're, it's really getting critical that we don't, you know, we've got all everything lined up, but we don't have, we don't have this important role cast. And anyway, I got sent a, a video audition of a Portuguese actor called Diogo Morgado. And he gave a, interesting reading enough to get my attention yeah. and I thought well maybe, you know I should meet him uh, I should meet him so he came over and uh, met with me and um, you know he walked through the door and into our lives really and and uh, uh, he was extraordinary uh, really extraordinary mm. in the role of, of Jesus and we just we just surrounded him in prayer you know he needed every prayer he could get it was yeah. quite an undertaking I'm sure mm. he um you know, he was anxious at times and, um, you know, certainly going into the crucifixion sequence mm. was uh, very difficult and challenging mm. for an actor. You producing any project is going to come with its challenges. What frustrates you the most? I mean, there's so many moving parts, letdowns, pickups, all that kind of stuff. Do you get frustrated or do you go with the flow? Uh, no, I, I do get frustrated. I mean, I think the, the great news about working as closely as I do with my own husband is that we have quite different skill sets and a very different temperament and different personalities. And so knowing our, our each of our own strengths, we're, we're able to lean into what we do well. Mm. Like in the selling of a project, for instance, my husband could sell ice to the Eskimos, <laughs> you know. And so, and sometimes a, a door needs to be kicked down and there's right. no better man to kick a door down than mm. my husband, yeah. you know. But sometimes that door will open better with a gentle knock. You know, we have different ways of approaching a problem and um, between us, we'll usually end up finding the solution. I mean, I remember years ago, somebody said to me, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Mm. And if you can learn to stop for a minute in that space, so that you're not living your life in reaction mm. and that you're not, you know, because it's if something's already happened, yeah. Doesn't you know you you losing your temper or going yeah. off, flying off the edge is not going to help yeah. anybody. Yeah. You know, it's like moving into what's the strategy then? How do we fix this? Yeah. How do we move forward? Yeah. Um, so that's certainly something I've learned. The other thing, just in getting things done, Ben. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, as producer, part of the, you know, the gig is just to 
is to you know is right. to have the energy just yeah. to get stuff made to get out there and get stuff made and you know i know that it's easy to want to have everything lined up before you take an action mm. and um, because you feel safer that way you know once i absolutely know where all the pieces fall into place yeah. but the truth is you know nothing gets going from a stationary position yeah. And, you know, I encourage anybody out there who has an idea but doesn't fully know how to act on it, just start mm. moving, do something, mm. take some sort of action step Yeah. because uh, movement begets movement. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, somebody will come in or somebody else will have an idea or somebody else maybe knows the person yeah. that knows the person that's going to have exactly what right. you need. But you've got to just get up and get yeah, moving. That's great advice. You... Um, both you and Mark are pioneers in this space when it comes to, you know, the faith content. But even outside of that, what what do you look for, you know, when when you think that's the project I want to do? Because so many people have ideas and I'm sure you've heard plenty of people come up to you and say, Rome, I have a great movie idea. What What is it that gives it that X factor to you that says, you know, I'm interested in that? Probably if somebody's pitching something, you look around the room at the lean-in. Are people leaning into the idea, like literally right. physically? Has it got people's attention? Does it feel dynamic? Is it sellable? Is it marketable? Mm. Because, you know, that's also part of it. You yeah. can have the best idea and maybe even create the best project. Yeah. But in this day and age, you have to have something that can cut through the noise right. And that will get people's attention. Still show business, isn't it? It's still, yeah. that's right. There's the business element yeah. of it. And particularly if people are putting real money yeah. up for it, you know, it's like everybody wants to know that their risk mm. is... is uh, as minimal as possible, as minimal. yeah. Um, I personally have always been interested in fit stories that really touch the heart. Yeah. Because I think when the heart opens you know, all things are possible yeah. when people make an emotional connection to it. Mm. That's just my, um, but it's probably back to if I wouldn't want to see it, I wouldn't want to be in it. Yeah. So maybe if I wouldn't want to see it, I wouldn't want to make it. Yeah. Um, but I'm certainly interested in stories that add value yeah. to the world, you know. I think that you can, if you look at entertainment today, you can say that there's stuff that adds value, there's stuff that is just entertaining, and then there's stuff that devalues mm -hmm. human experience. I certainly have no interest in that. Yeah. Catch me a million miles away yeah. from that stuff. You know, I think entertaining stuff has its place. You know, life is hard and people need some just good entertainment. And then there's stuff I think that's actually, you know, can be impactful, yeah. can be teaching without yeah. preaching, yeah. can be touching, you know, can be heart opening. Yeah. So where do people go to learn this stuff? Because it's often quite easy to say, well, just get out there and do something. And if it fails, get back up again. But uh, in this industry, a project, any project of a decent size or that you're wanting to do can cost money and that time. What are some of the other things besides that that you would give advice to? Well, you know, I have uh, in this uh, season of my life, one of my my passion is for lightworkers.com. And this is new world for me. Of digital storytelling. Yeah. And, um, you know, I look at my kids, I have kids at 20, 21, 24. And, um, you know, they're, it's not that they don't go to the movies, they still enjoy watching television, but they spend probably more time on laptops, iPads, yeah. and mobile. And they're interested in, in the shorter, sh shorter storytelling. Yeah. And, uh, and that's that sort of two to five minute sweet spot. So, we here at Lightworkers are doing these snackable, shareable 
pieces of content yeah. um, because we believe that's where the audience is. Mm. And um, rather than try to go out there and find them and drag them to us, we thought we would come in yeah. and meet them where they are. But I can tell you this, it's the, sta- it's the same um, rules that apply to whether you're telling a two-minute story yes. or whether you're telling a two-hour story. Yeah. It's, it has to be good. It has to be engaging. You know, it's a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to any budding filmmakers out there, short-form content is certainly more affordable, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's the kind of thing. I mean, play around with it. Be yeah. creative. Play around with yeah. it in your own, you know, get yourself a small camera. Start yeah. making your own stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you see so many people on, I don't know, YouTube. I mean, it's yeah. a very changed well, it's world, interesting isn't it? Because I, I think back in the day, everything was long form, either feature length films or television. And so it was a lot harder. So I guess these days it's it's easier because you're getting instant audience and people want those bite-sized chunks so. now. It's like these days, it's almost like everybody could be their own studio. Yeah. If you have a, you know, and even the some of the uh, the phones that have cameras yeah. in them are, you know, yeah. pretty good quality. You're yeah. getting pretty decent stuff. It comes down to content, personality, it all comes down engagement. To content. Content, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Or if you if there's a big personality involved, yeah. and uh, you know, does do people have charisma? It's the same things. You yeah. know, it's like from what what worked in storytelling fifty years ago yeah. to some extent are still the things that work in storytelling today. Yeah. Except we have a much faster uh, need for editing. Yeah. Because we have a, a much less attention. I think the audience mm. has less attention. Yeah. People want things quicker, they want it more immediate, they want shorter content. Yeah. Anyway, we're hoping to meet those needs at lightworkers.com yeah. because there's nobody in this space telling short form that's yeah, purely inspirational, encouraging, unifying, uplifting. Mm. Um, you know, the light is just the light of hope. Yeah. The light of connectivity. And the light of kindness. Yeah. And um, we're also uh, financed by MGM. So we have access to one of the biggest, beautiful libraries mm. of content. That's incredible. Uh, and so it's just really an exciting time for us here. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, I'm excited about that. And well done. Congratulations once again. Thank you. Just quickly before we wrap up, I want to talk about Box of Butterflies. Tell me a little bit about this and when it's coming out. Yeah, so I've written this book. It's called Box of Butterflies and it's coming out March 6th in time for Easter and for Mother's Day. Um, I really designed it and wrote it with the idea that it would be a gift, a gift for yourself maybe, but certainly a gift for somebody that you love. Um, and it's it deals with um, stories from my own life. So I find myself, not that all of my work hasn't been personal, I think if you're an artist and a, and somebody who enjoys creating things, there's a little bit of yourself in everything. But to actually write a book that tells stories from my own life, <laughs> I feel incredibly vulnerable yeah. suddenly. Um, I'm hoping and praying that it will be a blessing for people. Um, stories from my own life of of uh, how you know you can experience loss, but that you. You know, you see the blessing in everything. Really, mm. it's about seeing the blessing in everything and using the metaphor of the butterfly who, you know, last week was a caterpillar, had no idea <laughs> crawling along the earth that, yeah. that, you know, what its future held yeah. and that if you hang in there, um, you know, and trust and trust God that you will be delivered on the wings. Yeah. And I really pray it'll be a blessing for anybody who yeah. reads it. Well, you live your life for others. It's very 
evident, you know, and I want to say thank you for taking the time and thank you for pioneering, both you and Mark, in, you know, in an industry where, uh, you know, the world needs the light and you guys are bringing it. And so I want to say thank you and thanks for your time here. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning into today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and our YouTube channel to make sure you get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Write to us in the review or comments section. I look forward to being with you again next time on the Hillsong Film and TV podcast. Until then, see you next time.